that. So I asked, I said, well, like, what kept you from going and visiting this, uh, this individual, this family in the hospital? And they said, well, uh, they never let me or the church know uh, that they were sick, and I only found out <laughs> when they were back home again. Uh, but they still felt we should have done more as a church. So sometimes as a church, we can think, you know, how can we care more? Or, or, or sometimes we think, shouldn't the church, if it were really caring, do this? And I've heard that type of phrase online and in person lots of times. It goes something like, if we were truly a caring church, we would. Or if the church was really caring, it would. And the problem with that as we talk this morning about what makes a caring church is that when we say phrases like that, we talk about the church as an institution, as this kind of ethereal thing that exists and magically takes care of needs somehow if we throw it out into the, you know, the Facebook universe or through an email, it, you know, cares will just be taken care of. And what we forget is that church actually means people. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few weeks, but when we say the church should, or the church ought to, or wish the church would, we have to replace that little word church with other people. I wish other people would do this so that they're more caring, or I think that we as a people should do this so that we're more caring. Because even if it's a staff member who's in charge of organizing meals, or providing care, or facilitating something, we still have to round that care up somewhere. The meal has to come from somewhere. The money, the visiting, the, the resources, the time, whatever it is, has to come from people. And so before we can really be a caring church, we have to be a caring church. So we're going to look at the value of being a caring church. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at our vision and our values as a church through the lens of Colossians 3. Why do we do what, it, what we do? Is it important and should we keep doing it? And these things are works in progress because they're never finished. And I've been inviting the past few weeks, anyone who's a bit of an early adopter, a keener, I invite you to be part of a, a smaller group who'll do a little bit extra reading and dialogue and talk about, you know, how can we better word things and implement and, and live this out? But here's our working definition of our value of care. And we have four values as a church, transformation and grace. You can view those sermons past two weeks. Today we're talking about care. Next week we look at family. Members of a family care for one another in tangible ways, out of loving concern for one another, in times of need and also in ordinary events of life. Care takes many forms, including providing for one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, accompanying one another, etc. So today we want to look at several aspects of care. What does it mean to value care? What does that mean? What does that look like? And a few of the aspects we need to understand, a few of the pieces that sit underneath this value and the action of care are uh, things like cloaks, we'll get to that, harmony, and waves. We'll also talk a bit about God's love and um, how we function as church family, though, in the coming two weeks. We'll look at that a little bit more. Let's talk a little bit about cloaks. Now, in, in um, Colossians 3, Paul's been using this language throughout about uh, taking off and putting on. And in case you haven't been here for the past couple weeks, let me explain what he means as we get into that in just a few moments. 
When Paul talks about taking things off and putting things on, he's not saying we take off our old sinful nature as followers of Jesus. So those who have believed in Jesus, received his forgiveness, decided to follow him. It's not a matter of we constantly take off this old nature and put on our new nature, and this battle within is actually a battle of who we are by identity. No, we are made completely new. We are redeemed, forgiven, given a new nature, but we have old patterns of behavior. And so we need to take those old things we're used to, the ways we relate to one another and fight with one another and do all these things we shouldn't be doing. We need to take those off because we're used to them and put on new ways, which are actually more natural to who we are. And we put them on, and we might feel uncomfortable at first, and the more we wear them, the more we try them out, the more natural they become, and that becomes our character. We have the character of Christ. We're just not used to living it. So when Paul is talking about taking things off and putting things on, it looks a little something like this. This is a, a picture from uh, The Chosen, and it's fairly accurate with uh, some of the ways they are dressed. So there's an inner tunic, and it's a long piece of cotton. It's their undergarments, and it's what uh, uh, those around the cross threw dice for with Jesus. There's a tunic uh, coat or a ketonet. It's called a shirt-like garment. Looks kind of like a dress, and they would put a belt around that as well. Sometimes they wear some sort of a headdress, <clears throat> a turban, a covering, uh, especially Jewish men when they go to um, the temple or they go to the synagogue, they would wear something uh, to pray, but different kinds of headwear. They always wore some sort of shoe, sandal type thing, either soft or hard leather, depending on how much you made and how, what you could afford. <clears throat> and then there was a cloak. There's an overcoat or also called a mantle. And uh, they would put it over everything else, kind of hung down, almost like, you know, those giant scarf jacket things that women wear. I don't know what they're called. So not a shacket, not a shack, a little different than a shack. doesn't have sleeves. It's just like a giant, like, blanket, okay? So that's the same thing that they had. They put, would put it on, and it would go over all the other items, and they would hold, it would hold everything together, and they'd also use it as a blanket at night, and so it served uh, a few different um, functions. So that's what taking off, putting on, that's what the cloak, the outer thing, and we'll get to that in a moment. We also need to know about harmony, even before we get into our scripture. So I'm going to ask uh, Chrissy Warner to come up. She's a very gifted worship director, in addition to leading a worship ministry here. She teaches uh, music at a private school, and she also runs her own music uh, teaching business, Werner Studios. And if you are looking to teach your kids or yourself <laughs> some sort of music, start with her. She's very gifted, and so I could talk about harmony, but why don't we have someone who knows something about something teach us a bit about harmony? So... When we explain harmony and melody in music, we have to do both together because melody really doesn't function well without a harmony. And harmony has a hard time functioning without a melody. A melody exists on its own and it has a very simple function of moving a song forward and telling the story. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, is a melody. And we like to add extra notes to give us some more interest. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Each different harmony 
moves us in a different way. We have different sounds like this. You feel a little weird with that one. Or this. Each different element and each different what we call interval moves us in a different way. If I were to sing it as well, like this, it is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It's really hard to do. It is well, it is well with my soul. You would feel completely different than what you do. And that is the purpose of harmony and all of the extra layers underneath. <laughs> thank you not only for teaching us, but thank you for not singing it that way. So, the next thing we need to understand, even before we get our scripture, is about sound waves, the way sound works. And sound is, um, you can see uh, on the screen here, it's um, a longitudinal um, uh, wavelength here. And so it goes out from a singular point. The closer you get to the point of sound, the louder it gets. It moves through air. I'm not going to get into all the intricacies and physics of it, but basically it's like a ripple in a pond and it's meant to go out from there. And when we think of a harmony and sound, it's meant to do something. It's meant to move out from that central place. So with all those things in mind, we jump into Colossians 3 verses 14 and 15. If you have our Bibles with you, please turn there. If not, you can uh, open the Bible app, search for Country Hills Church, and it will pull up all the scriptures and uh, sermon notes for you. Um, I'm just going to take a, take a little pause because uh, I know there's a number of newish people here, and I think Mark did a great job of announcing newish, but maybe you, you came in a little late. If you are newer here, even if this is your first week, downstairs we'd love to get together with you just for a few minutes after the service just to find out more about who you are, let you know a little bit more about who we are. We've got a few snacks. Just go down the steps turn to your left when you get in the hallway go to your right it's your second door on the left there's only a few classrooms it's very hard to get lost we'll point you there love to connect with you and get to know you a little bit more colossians 3 verse 14. above all clothe yourself with love so on the whole thing that cloak that outer garment clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. So Paul is saying, above all the other things you put on, above all the other things you take off and, and put on, put love, because it pulls everything together. Okay, if you're into fashion, you probably have something that when you put it on with a certain outfit, it pulls everything together. I'm not into fashion. And so... Uh, I hope that what I'm wearing today matches, and I rely heavily upon my wife for um, what, uh, what fits and what looks okay. And apparently, as of this week, there are a number of clothing items in my wardrobe that need to go away. So, uh, uh, Paul is saying, above all the other things you put on, put on love. It ties it all together. So what has he said to take off? Earlier in chapter 3, he said this. Take off your sinful nature and its behaviors. Earthly things lurking within you. Sexual immorality, meaning any type of sexual practice outside heterosexual marriage. 
impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry, putting things above God, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language, lying, favoritism, or racism. So take those things off. That's part of who you were. That's how you used to live. Put on these things. These might not feel natural, but they are natural to who you are in Christ. Put on your new nature. Tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, making allowance for one another's fault and forgiveness. Over all these things, put on love. God's love unites and ties together everything else, but we need to understand what God's love is. When we, in our modern Canadian, North American context, hear the word love, we hear something soft and like free-flowing, like love to us means we get behind whatever another person wants or does and we just fully support regardless of our opinion or who they are or whether it's good for them or another person. Uh, What also love means is that I will love you if you support what I'm into or um, my politics, my viewpoint. I'll give you love. But if you don't, I'll, I'll cancel you. And we have this really weird view of love. That is not what Paul is referring to. He's actually referring to something interesting in Greek. And English is a pretty messed up language. How many of you uh, have English as your second language? Anyone have English as your second language? Okay. Is it easy to learn? No. Here's a few reasons why. And when, when you look at even Bible translating, so the Bible is written primarily in Hebrew and Greek with a little bit of Aramaic. And there are phrases in Hebrew and Greek that can't be translated into, into languages like English and French and German and other things. We, we just don't have a word for that. So we have to use like this phrase or something. So they don't easily translate. There's other words in Hebrew and Greek where they have multiple wonderful words that talk about something specifically. And then the wonderful, that's sarcastic, English language uses one word. Love is one of those. So we say, I love pasta, or I love my wife. Different? I hope so, right? So in Greek, they use several words for love. One of them is phileo. That is a love uh, between friends. There is eros. That's a, that's a sexual love. And then there's agape. And agape is a word that's used of God's love. And it's a love that is self-sacrificing. We see it best in Jesus Christ, who, though he was higher than anyone, anything else, lowered himself, Philippians 2, lower than even the angels and humanity, submitting himself to the consequences of our sin, dying on a cross in our sake, for our sake. And he sacrificed himself. That kind of self-sacrificial love. We see from the beginning of the fall in Genesis 3 through to the end of Revelation where God is pursuing us. This self-sacrificial love. Where last week we talked about grace and what sets Christianity apart. That in no other religious system does God come and do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's love. And so Paul is saying, put on that love above everything else. And we can only express that love to each other having experienced it for ourselves. Only in believing in Jesus and receiving forgiveness in walking with Jesus in relationship can we understand the depth of a love of a God who knows our heart and the darkest parts of us and loves us anyway. 
We don't do that well as humans, <laughs> do we? And so when it comes to care, we have to understand that our capacity to care is limited, but God's is not. And so on everything above all other things, we put on love. And then we come to this idea of harmony. Because that love that elsewhere in Scripture says it covers over a multitude of t sins, it pulls everything together, uh, it keeps things in harmony. So this love is also going to work something up in our hearts, Paul says, that it's going to create a peace in our hearts. A peace in the middle of trouble, a peace in the middle of conflict, a peace in the middle of not getting along with others. And it's also going to spring forth a thankfulness. So that as we love as Jesus loved, in our hearts and in our actions, there's peace in our community, in our church family. And our words will more naturally be prone to thanksgiving instead of complaining. And so this love put on does something else too. Not only does it unite the other things inside, all those put-ons, if we do love well, we do all the rest well. Jesus said it like this. You know, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the Old Testament laws, what should I do? And he had an answer. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And there's a second like it. Love, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do these two things, you'll fulfill everything else. And he came to fulfill the law and the prophets for us. And then he gave us a new command in John 15, 34, 35. He says, uh, a new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you. Okay, as I've loved you. And so that sacrificial love that Jesus gave that only comes through God as we experience, we can then express it. And when we do, it creates harmony. God's love is the melody that carries the story along. Our expression of that love through care. Care is the outpouring of love in practical ways. You can't say, I love you, and then not take care of someone. You can't say, I love you, and then not act on it. It means you actually don't love them. Or at least you're mistaken somehow. There's a disconnect. And care is that outpouring. And harmony is what happens in a church family when we love one another like Jesus does. When we express that love through care. We then move along with the melody of God's love in harmony with one another, bringing us closer together, and that creates sound waves. Those waves are best experienced within church family first. I'm going to get there in a minute, and then go out to the world. So they are experienced first in family. So it creates peace. It does something. So what does that look like? So the early church, this is what it looked like. In Acts 2, thousands of people had just come to know the Lord. The Holy Spirit was poured out for the first time. Peter preached to the Jews who were gathered for a festival in Jerusalem. Thousands came to know the Lord. They were baptized. And then we read this. All the believers, brand new believers, this is the start of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So they spent lots of time together, learning how to follow Jesus, and they did it together. Verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So God was doing things in them and through them. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Care. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So God poured out his love in these people and they shared his love through care with one another. And that echoed like a sound wave out to the greater community. They had the favor of the community at large because they saw these people living this way together and recognized it was different and good. And because believers loved one another, others heard of that, came in and were loved in the same way. And there were believers added to their numbers daily. So they shared everything. They opened their homes. But in a chapter or two, guess what happened? All fell off the rails. Why? Because they're human. Because sinful patterns and behaviors came back in. People who were said they were going to sell all they had and give to others lied about it. By chapter 6, we find that the good-natured church in Jerusalem who wanted to take care of widows, and in that day and age, widows had no chance for any type of income. There's no, no way, so they needed care. And so they provided care to the widows. Well, eventually, non-Jewish widows came to know the Lord, Greek widows and Jewish widows, and the Greek widows complained that they weren't getting as much as the Jewish widows were getting. And so deacons, if you're familiar with that term, they appointed seven leaders, called them deacons, to oversee to make sure it was all fair. Everyone wanted to do the right thing, but they didn't always do it well. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about these differences in who needs care and who doesn't. And this morning, I'm not going to talk about different parts in the New Testament. It talks about, you know, here's how to tell where people actually need care or where they're, you know, being a bit fraudulent or, you know, there's lots of practical stuff about that. Or here's how to go be above and beyond to care. You know, here's, here's the baseline, but we should be, I'm not talking. I'm just talking about the general value of care. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about how we function as a body. He's using the illustration of a body. In fact, and so he's talking about the different parts. We're all one body, different parts. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. So those weak parts that need care, they're necessary. They have a place. We don't exist as a church to give all this stuff, money, time, things, to look down on those who need care because they're less than us. We're all equal. And so we can share these things. And the parts we regard as less honorable, those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. Verse 24. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes what? Harmony. This makes harmony among the members so that all the members, what? Care for each other. It's meant to work together this way. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Each person is important, whether they need some extra help, need and care, or can provide it, or somewhere in between. Now, this summer, I had a little bit of a, a lot bit of a flood in our basement after a big rainfall. Woke up on a Saturday morning. We had that a few years ago, and I thought, ah, I better check and started to see some water coming in. And so I'm moving furniture and digging in sump pump holes and outside bucketing out um, puddles and reaching in drainage pipes and all sorts of stuff. And then this happened. Uh, if 
so I got a bit of an infection on my finger. So the, the, the left-hand side is day one, uh, right is day two, and I, I'm not going to show the rest of the pictures uh, for your sake, okay? So I thought, eh, it'll go away, no big deal. Uh, it did not, and uh, there was one night I could not sleep, and I'm up in the kitchen, and I've got like, you know, like rubbing alcohol and needles and all sorts of stuff to do things. I didn't, okay, we, I know we're getting queasy. I called the doctor. My doctor got me in, she gave me some antibiotics, and within a week it was cleared up through a equally gruesome natural process. I couldn't sleep because of the tip of my finger. It's not very much. In fact, I don't think I use it all that much. I type with it, and I mean, I eat with it and things. I couldn't function. I couldn't think of anything else. It, it, uh, have you ever seen Elf? It had a heartbeat, right? It was just all I, could, all I could think of, all I could focus on. When one part is hurting, the rest hurt. That's the way it's supposed to work with care, with a church family. When one person is hurting, we all hurt along. When one person is rejoicing, we rejoice alongside. The principle of church family is this. Now, some of you, when I speak of family, we're going to look at this over the next couple of weeks. When I talk about family, you think of your family of origin, as you should. And you've come from some sort of a broken home. Family is not a nice word. Family is painful. And so just for now, I want you to envision the way you think a healthy family should function. And the way a healthy family should function is the members of that family help one another to grow, uh, to be the type of people Jesus has called us to, and learn the skills to live out in the world the way that Jesus has called us to, including care. And so the way a healthy home, healthy family, whether you're related by blood or marriage, adoption, just being in the same house, your family. And so when someone has a tough day, who should be the first, the most natural place to go for care? Your family. That should be the first place to go. If you're sick in bed, should be your family. If you need some money, should be your family. When you are in need, it should be your family. Of course others help. But that's kind of the sound wave thing. Because a healthy family also is not exclusive. Care may radiate and, and, and begin primarily within the family. So to your kids and your relatives, you should care for them most and best. But not exclusively. Because that's where we learn to care. That's where we learn to care the feeling, the value, and also the practical stuff. So a church family should be the primary place we care for one another. When someone is hurting, when there is a need. Here's some examples of care at Country Hills. So I'm not going to bring up names, but I'm going to share some of the things I could think of off the top of my head. Over the past number of years, I know that people have done for and with one another. Driving, fixing, visiting, cleaning, cooking, giving gifts, praying, calling, texting, supporting, getting groceries, making meals, giving money, lending things, helping build, picking lice, mess. <laughs> so some people are crawling. Too much. I care. That's too much. Uh, making soup, crying, sitting by hospital beds, admitting to the hospital and programs, reading the Bible together, helping move, tidying the property, raking leaves, shoveling snow, throwing showers, baby showers, and 
wedding showers, and the list goes on and on and on. Thank you. Keep it up. This is who we are, and it's how we behave with one another. There's really two main kinds of care. There's being kind. So that's just kind of for no reason at all or just minor reasons. So we give a card or a, a, a hug. Uh, someone's had a baby and we you know, send, a, send a card or a pack of a diaper. Someone's maybe a little bit down and we, we call them. Or just for no reason at all, God laid you on my heart so I want to let you know that I'm praying for you. Or just acts of kindness that go a long way within a church family. And then there's bearing burdens. Now, I've talked before, I'm not going to do a big, long teaching about the difference between backpacks and boulders. But everyone is called to bear their own backpack. So in your life, you're responsible for certain self-care needs. Taking care of your needs, trying to find a way to have enough to eat and live and figure out your life. And there's certain things that we're all called to bear ourselves. That's your backpack. But certain backpack things, because of circumstances, become so great that they become boulders. And a boulder a person can't bear on their own. These happen in crisis, emergency, disability, all sorts of stuff like that, where the, the weight is too much for one person to bear, crushes another person. And those we bear together. And so... That's when we do things like we make a meal when someone's sick. We, um, we go and tidy a house. We pay a bill. We do something. Because what we do in bearing that boulder is we give the person enough space to be able to get back to just doing some of the natural stuff. If someone's sick and in bed, they can't clean their own house. So we clean it for them so they can focus on other stuff they can do. So this is part of care. And there's three main ways we care at Country Hills. Three main ways we get in space with one another, in proximity with one another, so that we get to know one another on a deep level. We share God's love through care so that we act and live in harmony with one another. The first and best way is small groups. So small groups are groups that gather once a week or once every other week. Some gather about monthly. They talk about different topics. Some go through discussion questions about the messages. Others watch video series. Others have different types of events together. But the point is you have a regular cadence or rather regular rhythm of meeting together to get to know one another and share your lives so that you know there's people. You've got your people. You're praying for them. They're praying for you. It's, it's primarily where things like a baby shower or moving or meal train or things like that happen. We do organize those as a church, absolutely. But where there's a small group of people who know one another, are known and know, they found belonging together, they're involved in one another's lives, that's important. So small groups are not a place where you go, you open up the Bible, you ask a few questions about the Bible, and then you leave and you've had a good discussion, it is about life together. We grow spiritually as we grow relationally. And if you're not in a small group, you're missing out. And because we're all part of a body, they're missing out on you. We all have a part to play. And so I encourage you to join a small group. Contact the church office. Go on our website. Find a date and time and place that works for you. We have room in our small groups. We'd love to start more 
because this is where we do the, the, the meat and potatoes of being church family together, including care. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, serving. When you serve alongside others, whether it's just once in a while setting up chairs, uh, doing things in the kitchen, those are great ways to, to begin serving, or you join you know, a, a team, whether it's our family ministry team with youth or kids or the AV team at the back or serve on a worship team or, or you're on the property team or you, you serve in some way, you start to get in proximity with others. It's usually not quite as regular sometimes as small groups and sometimes doesn't have the space where you're specifically talking about your life and how to follow Jesus. But you get to know one another and you get to know other needs and you find out ways that you can be a blessing and care for others. That makes for a great church family. And the third way is just simply to sacrifice. Here's what happens. You people over here, uh, you can't see online, but the people on the far side, if you hear about a need of someone, you don't know their name. Or you hear the need of someone who's sitting on your side over here. And you look all the way across, and you see so many bodies and faces, we tend to think one of two things. I don't know them. There's all these other people who know them so well. I'm sure it will be fine. Or, I wonder how I can help. Uh, I don't know how to do that. So there's sometimes a desire, and I don't know how to do that. And sometimes there's like, I'm sure someone else is doing it. Love the way Jesus does that cloak that covers all the other things is sacrificial, first and foremost. And that's the third way. It's more impersonal, but it's no less necessary. So sometimes from the front, we'll say, we need help with such and such. I'm not talking about like uh, candy carnival or fundraising for outside needs. That's the ripple effect of our sound waves of care. We grow it here and we learn to care for our community and world. But if you hear of a need in the email up front, just kind of it catches your ear. Be open to the way God would move in you. You don't know what that simple act of kindness may do for them and you don't know what it's going to do for you. You don't know if that's going to be one of your people for the next like 10, 15 years who you will develop a deep friendship with and you will be an incredible support. God works so amazingly. So, we have a church. It functions. We have programs. We do all these things. But here's the reality. We do these things to try and be organized to facilitate what we should be doing naturally. So we put together small groups because we all are less prone to find like 10 or 12 other people and say, hey, let's get together every couple weeks and pray together and eat together and find out what's going on in one another's lives. Let's be our people. So if you're having a problem at 2 in the morning, you call me. Or if you're moving, you call me. Or if I'm you know, in need, you can help me. We, we don't tend to do that naturally. It seems a little weird, right? We're polite. We're Canadian, right? And so we have this thing. Where we're a little more separate. And I want to encourage you to be sacrificial, to go beyond that. So absolutely join a small group. Absolutely begin to serve. There are benefits to that. Uh, but if you're not in a place where you can be able to do that, Consider how God might move in your heart for you to sacrifice, for you to give in the way Jesus would. That is the definition of love and the definition of care 
is simply love in action. That's what care is. So, God's love. God's love is the melody that keeps our church family in harmony. God's love is the melody that keeps our church family in harmony. And that song, the song that comes from that, that song forms the story we write about Country Hills Church. Remember, Chrissy said the melody and the harmony, they form a story depending on how they sit with each other. So if the harmony we're, <laughs> we're playing by our actions and our attitude, how we value care, is a little abrasive and doesn't feel so good or it's out of sync, that's the story we tell about Country Hills Church to one another, to those who are not yet following Jesus and to a world who needs him. But if instead we're learning through failure, learning through trial, to be in harmony, to keep in step with the Spirit, then his love becomes a deep part of our care. And we move beyond the activity of care. We move beyond seeing baking muffins as, boy, isn't this going to be a nice thing, to God is using this simple thing in ways we could never. That's the way God works. That's how we keep in harmony with one another. God's love is the melody that keeps our church family in harmony. That song that forms from how we're in harmony with one another alongside the melody of God's love. That's the story we write. And I believe there are times we've written this story well and there's times we've really struggled. And so I encourage us in that. Care for one another beyond the present need. Because care has a greater impact than we can see in the thing we're doing today. It ripples and it goes out. This song creates a story and does something to a world. Remember Acts 2. It was by the way the believers loved one another that Jerusalem and beyond began to see that there's something different. I mean, they did take care of widows and they did some social justice things, but that wasn't the primary thing that set them apart. It was God's love in them, that agape love shared out by the way they cared and did life together. And that alone God took and rippled out with a harmony beyond what we could do on our own. Here's what the value of care looks like at Country Hills. Members of a family care for one another in tangible ways, out of loving concern for one another in times of need and also in the ordinary events of life. Care takes many forms, including providing for one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, accompanying one another. So now we've learned a little bit about harmony. Let's experience this. Uh, Chrissy's going to come and lead us in a closing song. Would you stand with me? When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever 
thank you that your love is always the melody. We can see it, experience it, live it anytime. Give us the humility to open ourselves to, to change. Um, help us share your love through the care we express to one another and let that care ripple out to a world who needs us as well. May the way we care spur us to care uh, for others in our work and school and neighborhoods. May we, we be seen as a people who love well and love in a different way. Lord, where we've done things uh, well in your name and cared for one another well, uh, I pray we continue to learn from that and do that. And where we've failed, Lord, we're, we're sorry. May we be repentant. Help us to do and be more than we can do or be on our own. On our best of days, with our kindest of actions, we could never come close to who you are in and through us. Bless us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being uh, together. If you're newish, invite you to.